Are you ready for the quantum age? Humanity's next step in evolution? Dream Vision 7 Radio Network invites you to the extraordinary platform of evolutionary voices for the quantum age. Let's explore. Learn more about this upcoming age where we bridge science with spirituality. Where potentiality meets reality. Where we take compassion into action. Our trailblazers and visionaries will ask the whys, the what ifs, while igniting continuous possibility. Come along with us into an age beyond what we know today, where we can grow together in unity consciousness. Experience evolutionary voices for the quantum age, Monday through Friday at 8 a.m. and 8 p.m. Eastern on DreamVision7Radio.com. Welcome to What's in Your Way is the Way with your host, Mary O'Malley, inviting you to open to the radical notion that in your life, whatever you perceive to be in your way is the way. In other words, your challenges, whether they be relationships, compulsions, finances, or illness, come with gifts embedded in them that can bring healing and allow you to experience the joy of being fully alive. Mary is a counselor, awakening mentor, inspirational speaker, and the author of What's in the Way is the Way, the gift of our compulsions, belonging to life, and the magical forest of aliveness. What's in Your Way is the Way with Mary O'Malley is part of Evolutionary Voices for the Quantum Age. Heard Monday through Friday at 8 a.m. and 8 p.m. Eastern on the Dream Vision 7 Radio Network. Welcome to What's In Your Way Is The Way. And I am your host, Mary O'Malley, and today we are cultivating freedom. The healing of the heart. This being human is a guest house. Every morning a new arrival, a joy, a depression, a meanness. Some momentary awareness comes as an unexpected visitor. Welcome and entertain them all, even if they are a crowd of sorrows who violently sweep your house empty of its furniture. Still, treat each guest honorably. He may be clearing you out for some new delight. The dark thought, the shame, the malice. Meet them at the door laughing and invite them in. Be grateful. For whatever comes, because each has been sent as a guide from beyond. Rumi. We have been exploring how to ground and how to open to life right here and right now. We have cultivated paying attention and awakened to the art of inclusion. We've explored the power of asking questions. All of these are moving us into the place of allowing the formerly feared and hated parts of ourselves back home into our hearts. This is where our healing lies, because the heart can hold the opposites of the struggling mind. My journey into awakening has brought me into tenderness and mercy, at one of the 10-day retreats I went to every year, I made a list of all the parts of myself that I had formerly hated and feared and that now were woven back into my heart. I cried tears of gratitude, deep gratitude, for I saw how 
deeply I had been locked out of my own heart, and how this very prison of self-judgment had pushed and pulled me along the path of awakening. When we discover the power of allowing the disowned parts of ourselves back into our hearts, we may at first meet them with a hope that they will go away. They will become more manageable with every meeting, but they won't go away. The good news is that they will be transformed into our allies when they are finally embraced as welcome guests, as Rumi suggests we do. It is the most unwelcome parts of ourselves that hold the power for awakening into our healed heart. I discovered this at a retreat called African Drumming, Dancing, Ritual, and Art. Aha, said my mind, that sounds like a weekend of rhythm, music, opening, and fun. Well, it was unlike any retreat I'd ever been to. Instead of being fun, it was an unbelievably painful, but ultimately freeing experience that finally allowed me to embrace a core part of me that I had always run from. On the first evening, I began to get an inkling of what I was in for. There was no schedule, no idea when meals would be. A transformer had blown just before we arrived, so there was no hot water, heat, or lights in the cabins, and very little warmth in the big, drafty hall. A number of people left during the retreat, and at times I wanted to, but I stayed, for I knew that discomfort always brings up the next layer of what is asking to be seen and met with my heart. The second night, we began a ritual with very little preparation and with no guidance about how it was going to unfold or how long it would take. At three in the morning, after having gone through many phases, some scary, some boring, some enlightening, the leader sat us in a circle of stones on the wooden floor with the admonishment that if anyone left, the ritual would be compromised for everyone. Two people had tried to leave a few hours before and were sternly told they could have opened up the circle to dark forces. The leaders then left without any indication of when they would return. Up to this point, I had checked in with myself over and over again and had gotten the sense that it was important to stay with this retreat. But now, in the middle of the night, exhausted and cold, sitting on a hard, cold floor with no end in sight, I wanted to leave. Panic began to build in my body and mind as I was pushed to my limit and my body felt like it was going to explode. My awareness was obscured by a mixture of terror, despair, and self-hatred. I can't handle this. When is it going to be over? Oh, I should have left. Oh, you are so inept, and besides, you're such a wimp. My old voices screamed at me. Then awareness kicked in. I asked, what is and my attention came out of reaction and back into my living experience. I recognized that I was simply sitting on a cold, hard floor with 50 other people. Moving out of reaction, I remembered that my life is a journey of awakening where everything is grist for the mill of becoming conscious. I then asked, what is asking to be met? 
I began to see with deep curiosity and a heartfelt compassion the feelings that were ricocheting through my body and my mind. As I made contact with the feelings flowing through me, from the depths of my being came flooding memories of other times in my life, mainly in childhood, when I had the same experience of feeling caught in an overwhelming situation with no way out and no end in sight. I allowed a deep, long, slow breath. But this time, for the first time in my life, someone was there meeting me in this indescribably painful place, and that someone was me. I began to talk to this core feeling of no way out. It was too enveloped in fear to respond to questions, but I could say this too. I include you as a part of this experience. As my heart opened, I could say to the terror, I see you. I want to get to know you. You are a core part of my childhood, and I am not going to abandon you or get lost in you tonight. I am here for you. Rather than becoming caught in reaction, my heart cradled these feelings with a deep sense of tenderness and mercy. The softening and opening of inclusion warmed my body. When sensations of cold or panic began to seep back in, I found myself repeatedly turning to the warm glow of compassionate curiosity. As the room became colder, my heart became warmer. What had been an indescribably painful situation was transformed into one of the major healing experiences of my life. I knew, as I packed to leave later that morning, that I had been deeply open and now trusted myself to the core. I saw that even when I am pushed to the maximum, I was now capable of being there for myself when I most needed myself. My ability to be that present for myself on that cold floor in the wee hours of the morning came from the accumulation of many moments, both in meditation and in my daily life, where I met the core parts of my story rather than putting them out of my awareness and out of my heart. Because this was the first time I had ever been present for the experience of No Way Out, I now was learning how to meet this core feeling when it showed up in my everyday life. At first, I could only be present for a moment before I would flip out into reaction again. But having learned from many skillful teachers that going toward a state that controls you is the way of freedom, I returned over and over again to asking myself, what is and then saying this too. Over time, I was able to sit with this fear both in my returning practice and at moments during my daily life. I would watch what would bring it to the surface, what words it would use, how it would manifest in my body. At the beginning, I would notice after the fact that this fear had been present. But gradually, I began to enter it, going through layer after layer, so that when it was present, attention, rather than fear, would be triggered. 
in order to bring the amazing power of inclusion into your life, be willing to spend the next 24 hours working with this too. Whatever comes up, whether it's indigestion, a cranky child, a sleepy body, an agitated mind, be willing to recognize it, to acknowledge it, and then say this too. I can include this too as a part of my life. If there is something that your mind refuses to stop struggling with, a bad cold, a major meeting at work, a difficult relationship, ask it. Can I let this be as it is for just this moment? Another helpful response is, it's okay. It's all okay. As the mind begins to let go of trying to turn this into an emergency, you can go back to cultivating the inclusion of this too. As we begin to stabilize our minds by strengthening our ability to pay attention and opening into compassionate listening, we discover that whenever we really see with an inclusive heart, it is a profoundly healing moment. This is not the quick fix we've been taught to believe is healing. Just give me a pill, a positive thought, a dose of denial, and everything will be okay. It takes time to learn to truly meet what has been formerly cut out of our hearts. But this is the pathway to freedom. Every time we go towards something rather than away, we have another opportunity to lessen our identification with these contracted states, freeing the energy that is locked in them so that we can become more available for the living adventure that is our life. A first aid kit. When the demons become unmasked, you may feel you're going mad or doing something wrong, but in fact, you have finally begun to face the forces that keep you from living in a loving and fully conscious way. Jack Cornfield. Creating a relationship with our disowned parts is an art. There are times when our attention is not yet as strong as the pattern that's asking to be met, and we find ourselves falling into the feeling, the experience, or the sensation rather than relating to it. We find ourselves running away to our distractions, like busyness, compulsions, and even trying to understand. At such times, when compassion and curiosity feel light years away, it is beneficial to have a first aid kit. This kit that we are now going to explore is filled with skills that allow you to bring a sense of spaciousness around these challenging places in order to gain perspective. Then, from a more spacious place, you can become curious again. And when you are ready, touch whatever you are experiencing with your heart. Asking for help. One of the most important first aid tools is to ask for help. Remember, there is a loving intelligence that permeates and penetrates absolutely everything. When we are caught and struggling, unable to see what is, 
and unable to access any space outside of the struggle, asking for help from the intelligence that is always with us opens the door wide enough for it to get a word in edgewise. In fact, it could be said that all the challenges of our lives are here specifically to bring us to this place where the only choice we have is to let go and ask for help. The contemplative priest and author Thomas Merton said that true prayer begins when prayer doesn't work and our hearts have turned to stone. For a good portion of our journey, we have used prayer to stay in control, asking for what we want and trying to get rid of what we don't. There is a point in the journey when we realize this only keeps us separate from the living presence, the sacred intelligence at the heart of life. When asking for help, we don't have to feel we are in contact with this intelligence. We don't have to see any great transformation after we ask, nor do we have to hear an answer. Just asking is enough. Help will come in its own time and in its own way. What works for me is to simply say, show me the way through this. It is also sometimes helpful to have a physical symbol that reminds you that there is something bigger than yourself that is in charge. I often light a candle and keep it burning all day long in my kitchen, a place where it is unusual to find a flame. Numerous times throughout the day when I come around the corner and see the burning candle, I remember I am not alone. When I'm away from home, I will carry special rocks in my pockets or wear sacred gifts around my neck. Shifting Attention When we are visited by a heavy state and it feels unmeetable, the most basic thing we can do is shift our attention. If you ever have been a parent, you have probably relied upon this simple but powerful tool when your children are getting out of control. You place their attention elsewhere. It's wondrously amazing to watch a two-year-old winding up to a full-blown temper tantrum, and when you invite them to watch a ladybug on the window, they immediately shift from anger to fascination. I find cleaning house can help take the focus off struggle. A movie or a good book works too. Talking to a friend who will simply listen to us can also calm down the struggling self enough that we can then meet what is stirred up inside of us. Even if we stay distracted for a while, know that the deep inner work continues even though we are focused elsewhere. For when the struggling mind isn't busy trying to get a word in edgewise, the integration deep within can happen in a much more effortless way. Lightening up. It is good to remember not to take ourselves so seriously. The mind loves to turn the littlest thing into an emergency and the slightest mistake into a major screw-up. You grow up the day you have your first real laugh at yourself, said Ethel Barrymore. When a group of people over the age of 100 were interviewed, a common thread in each one of their lives was an ability to laugh at and with the ups and downs of their lives. 
I love that moment in my consciousness when my mind is gearing up for a big drama trauma and a big meltdown and awareness kicks in with, oh, the problem factory is at it again. And then I laugh. I also ask, is this really going to matter tomorrow or next year? And usually the answer is no. Of course, there are things in our lives we need to take seriously, but most of the emergencies we face are mind-created horror stories, and a little lightning goes a long way toward breaking this addiction to struggle. A friend of mine shared with me the phrase she uses, which combines the sense of how challenging life can be with the knowing that it is here for us, no matter what is happening. Loudly and with great vigor, she says to the process, fuck you very much. My heart immediately explodes in mirth and joy when I hear this. It includes both the resistance of the personality and the openness of the soul that knows it is all an adventure. So lighten up. Tell good jokes to yourself while you're in the car. Look for the humor. It's all a matter of perspective. Movement. There are many states that are asking to be met that won't let us shift our attention or lighten up. We can then use movement to cultivate the opposite of this particular state of mind. If I'm caught and struggling, I love to move in a way that is the exact opposite of what I'm feeling. If I'm lost in self-judgment, sometimes I'll cradle my heart. If I'm caught in a disempowered mode, I'll put my hands together in front of me and forcefully chop down to the ground as I yell, ha! If I'm feeling foggy and unresponsive, I take a power walk with my head held high, arms swinging and long, strong strides. Putting on music and allowing whatever is coming to be expressed is also very freeing. It can also be helpful to go outside in order to get energy flowing again, to feel the sensation of rain on our face, the warmth of the sun, or the wind caressing our hair helps immensely. Nature can remind us that we are the earth awakening and are a part of a greater process. Also, beauty is literally food for your soul. Something happens to every cell of your being when you immerse yourself in the beauty of nature. I also love going to a place where I can see for a distance. In a pinch, I'll even use my roof. It is very healing to your nervous system when your sight can extend beyond what is right before you. At times, when a particular state of mind has been around for a while and I find myself unable to stay attentive, I will ask myself, what is the opposite of this mind-body state? I will then act as if I am experiencing it. Let's say fear is present. I will then cultivate strength and courage in my walk, my words, and my actions. This is not to rise above the feeling or to get rid of it, which results in staying caught in the pendulum of reaction. This is using the energy of the opposite of what is asking to be met in order to cultivate the stability and the clarity necessary to be present for what is here. Another way to work with difficult states of mind is to enhance them. 
There is something magical in allowing an energy pattern to express itself to its fullest in that very act of non-resistance and welcoming it becomes much easier to weaken our identification with whatever is and turn it into an opportunity for awakening. If I'm irritated, I'll feed the smoldering fire inside of me by allowing myself to get very angry. I'll stomp around and yell and sometimes even pound on the bed. If I'm sad, I'll rent a sad movie or read sad poetry. Stephen Levine teaches a technique when you press your fingers deeply into your breastbone, there between your nipples, this is the grief point. As you press, you begin to wail and moan. At first, it can feel artificial, but this technique has the ability to bring up the grief that is resting under our sadness. Impermanence. It can also be freeing to cultivate the recognition of impermanence. Nothing stays around for very long. Absolutely nothing. Not planets or people, countries or civilizations, joy or depression, pain or bliss. Not even the difficult states of mind, the one that says it will last forever. When heavy states move through our body-mind, they are usually accompanied by the belief that they are the totality of us and that they will be here forever. And yet, if you think about it, no state of mind has ever stayed forever, not even the pleasant ones. Just like the weather, they all arise and pass away. Through cultivating the truth of impermanence, it becomes easier to allow these states to flow through us rather than to identify with them and get lost in their content. The power of no. One of the most powerful tools in this first aid kit is the ability to just say no. There are two levels of a skillful no. The first happens when we can't get any space around our story. During those moments when a heavy state feels like it's pressing in from all sides, we can say, no, I am not ready to deal with you. This is not denial. It is the ability to put the experience on hold, for sometimes we do not have the strength, the time, or the ability to deal with what is arising right then. It is important to watch the intention of our no. If it is done from an angry or fearful place, it can actually feed that state of mind or body. But if it's done with a caring firmness that realizes it is important to meet what is asking to be met, but this is not the appropriate time, it will give us much needed space rather than throw us deeper into contraction. The other level of no comes when we have seen enough of our story that when it captures our attention, we can firmly but with great heart say, no, I no longer need to identify with that. This is the place of empowerment in which we recognize that we fully have the choice about what we are going to pay attention to. Honor Resistance at times, it may be impossible to do anything 
This is when the state of mind we're caught in rebels at even the thought of doing anything at all and cannot remember that there is something beyond our story that is supporting us every step of the way. With the depth of the heavy states that I've known numerous times in my awakening process, I've had moments when I became paralyzed and any attempt to make a shift was met with resistance. Luckily, my mentor was able to show me the power of not resisting resistance. In fact, she taught me how essential it is to honor it. Resistance is the guardian at the threshold of our growth. It says that to open any more is to enter the territory where we do not have the skills yet to traverse. Patience and Support There will be times where absolutely nothing can penetrate the contraction of our story. No matter how far along in the journey of awakening we are, we can all know this place where no light can penetrate. But when we are on the path of awakening, states that used to last for days or months or sometimes even years can move through much more quickly and bring in their wake gifts that help us move out of our story and back into life. In those years, when awareness could not yet connect with the core parts of my story, I was helped by a quote from Rainier Maria Rilke. I urge you to be patient toward all that is unsolved in your heart and try to love the questions themselves, like locked rooms and like books that are written in a foreign tongue. Do not seek the answers, because you are not yet able to live them and the point is to live everything. Live the question now. Perhaps you will then gradually, without noticing it, awaken into the answer. Mm-hmm. So be patient. The process of awakening is organic. It has soft summer days and raging winter storms. But the constantly changing kaleidoscope of our experience unfolds in an orchestrated manner as rhythmic as the changes of the tides and finely tuned as the dance of the seasons. The Phases of Awakening The final tool in our first aid kit is the awareness that awakening is a living process. Just like a plant, it sets down roots and then grows the support system of stems, branches, and leaves. Only then does it have the capacity to blossom. We could say that awakening happens in three phases. The first is the one of being asleep, the normal consciousness of most people. It is the phase of holding on to and resisting life, caught in an endless cycle of struggle. The second phase is when we realize that something else is happening here beyond our narrow everyday focus. It is the spacious truth of our being that is present in every single moment of our lives. We begin to understand that in seeing our struggles, rather than always trying to fix them, we can discover something beyond our ordinary mind. Our daily lives become a dance of reconnecting with life and of getting to know the story that takes us away. We will still spend most of our time in the labyrinth of our minds, but the moments when we can really see the story of struggle 
and then connect with the spaciousness of being that resides beyond it becomes more and more frequent. This brings us to the third phase when, having seen enough of our story, we become awake and consciously aware of being a part of something greater. Then the center of our being resides in awareness. We find ourselves in the labyrinth at different times in our lives, but we're willing to be compassionately curious about what our stories are doing. And then we easily come back to the present time, available for life the moment it appears out of mystery. At moments in this process, it can feel like our fears, desires, and confusions are stronger than before. This happens because whatever we pay attention to becomes more alive, but paying attention to something we have previously denied or ignore does not make it bigger. Rather, it is more like a flashlight flooding a basement that has been in the dark for years. When we turn on the light, it's easier to see the cobwebs and the junk so that now they can be cleaned up. It's very helpful during the second and third phases of awakening to have a person or a group to share with that understands the awakening process. The pull of our stories are so strong that we need to be continually reminded that who we are is something bigger than our stories. Also, in having a place where we can share whatever is happening without feeling it needed to be fixed or changed, the grip of our story, it begins to soften. It's reassuring to hear where other people are and discover that everybody has the same struggles in their minds. This can help us to see that the darkness that we carry is not unique or horrible. Instead, we realize we are meeting the delusions that everybody has, meeting them for the healing of all beings. This first aid kit is essential in the process of awakening. As soon as we move into another level of awareness, the next layer of what has not yet been included in our compassionate awareness will surface to be seen. And even though the actions of inclusion and curiosity become easier to access over time, our initial response will still usually be resistance. For in meeting many of the disowned parts of ourselves, we will need to take a few steps forward only to retreat, drawing upon one or more of these tools that can help bring forth equilibrium again. Slowly and surely, you will gather enough curiosity and compassion to meet these states without falling into them. Kindness, a first aid kit unto itself. It is a bit embarrassing to have been concerned with the human problem all of one's life and find at the end that one has no more to offer by way of advice than try to be a little kinder. Aldous Huxley We have been exploring how to meet ourselves with curiosity, what is, and compassion, this too.
But sometimes, when we are caught in the deepest parts of our stories, it can be practically impossible to cultivate kindness for ourselves. When we find ourselves this contracted, we can take the focus off of ourselves and place it on another. To be kind to another human being is not only a wonderful thing to give to the world, it also is healing for us. It opens the doors of our own heart, allowing us to be present for ourselves again in a spacious and merciful way. In order to live a life of kindness, we need to understand that we are all in this together. We are accustomed to seeing everything outside of us as other, separate and disconnected from us. We see things and people as objects in our mind, objects that can either enhance or detract from the experience of our lives. Something very radical happened when Einstein and then Hubble discovered the expanding universe. It began to seep into our collective awareness that absolutely everything comes from the same place and that the dance of the universe is an interconnected web of unfolding. There is no other. One of the most skillful ways to cut the illusion of separation and struggle we live in most of the time is to act in our lives as if everything were a part of us for it truly is. There is so much more than we have in common than we have in differences. Your skin color, your religious beliefs and sexual preference, and possibly even your whole view of life may be different than mine, but we come out of the same ground of being and we share the same air, water, and planet. At the root of our existence, we also carry the same fears and desires the same confusions and hopes, whether we live in a tribal village in Africa or a high-rise in Manhattan. Think of a newborn child. Include Hitler, Bin Laden, Florence Nightingale, and Abraham Lincoln in this vision. We are all born in innocence with the urge to love and be loved at the core of our being. As the cauldron of daily life molds and shapes us, differences become more apparent, but still nestled in the heart of every being is the desire to be happy. The heart truly begins to respond when it realizes that pain and sorrow exist in absolutely everyone's life. There is a story about a woman who lost her young son, her only child, When she approached the Buddha, overcome with grief, she said, Master, please bring my boy back to life. The Buddha replied, I will. But first you must go into the village and get me a handful of mustard seeds from a home where no one has lost a loved one to death. She went from house to house, searching for the seeds. But when she asked if anyone in the home had died, the answer was always Yes. Finally, she realized that what had happened to her happens to everyone, that all who are born will also die, and that all people experience loss. The heart truly opens when it realizes that not only does death happen to each one of us, but also upset, loss, heartache, 
craving, grief, judgment, confusion, and despair, and that each one of us is doing the best we know how. Understanding this, we can respond to all that we see with kindness. There are many books out now about the art of kindness. In fact, the whole concept has taken this country by storm. A newspaper article once called it guerrilla goodness. To consciously commit to being kind can literally transform the world. One story tells of a young woman who is at the end of a rope. She had broken up from a long and very painful relationship and had moved to a new city without friends, without vision, without hope. Every day she would come home from work and just stare at the walls, sometimes crying, but mostly sitting and wondering if she would ever know joy again. One night, upon returning from work, much to her amazement, the red light on her answer machine was flashing. When she played the tape, it was a wonderful male voice apologizing for calling the wrong number. He said that her voice on the message had sounded so sad, he just wanted to tell her that it was okay to be sad, that to be able to feel that sadness was important. His message went on for almost 20 minutes, talking about going through pain instead of running away from it, and how, even though it probably seemed impossible now, things would get better. Even though she never learned who the person was, this message was a healing catalyst in her life. The most powerful gift of kindness you can give is the expression of caring. Hold this intention. As you hand your money to the clerk or listen to another's problems with compassion, this is one of the most transformative powers in life. True healing comes not from doing anything. It comes from being with, whether it is a health condition in our body, an upset friend, or a voice on the other end of the phone. We cannot begin to imagine the ripple effects of small acts of compassion, support, and kindness. In some deep way, these acts are the physical representation of the awareness that we are all in this together with common needs and fears, and that each of us is doing the best that we know how. One of the most wonderful things about kindness and why it is a first aid kit to itself is that we cannot give it away without it affecting us. To leave smiles and kind words in our wake is to fill our being with joy. The poet William Wordsworth said, We are all made kind by being kind. That is the best portion of a good man's life. His little nameless, unremembered acts of kindness and love. (laughs) Acts of being present for others in a spacious and inclusive way automatically move us out of our contracted, struggling minds and back into connection with life. She was not able to stay conscious of this on the trip. The feelings were still too strong for her. But after the trip, when she came to the awakening group I led, all of us, including this woman, realized the perfection of what had happened. It took an abandonment way out in the wilds of a primitive country for her to bring up and meet 
all the feelings that were locked away in her story by the double betrayal in her childhood. Everything, everything that happened to her on the river, including the different parts that everybody played, was a necessary experience in the theater of her awakening. Everything was there to trigger the common illusion of struggle and separation that had so completely taken over her life. Being able to see this experience as an invitation to awaken out of her story rather than just a traumatic event that happened on vacation brought all of us in that room into a greater curiosity about our own lives and a deeper trust of the process. She had also said that the predominant feeling she experienced while searching for the other part of her group was a deep sadness. Upon digesting all that we had talked about together, when we met again the next week, she was able to make space for this grief. <sighs> Upon digesting all that we had talked about together, when we met again the next week, she was able to make space for this grief. She shared with us that in being given permission to meet all the feelings that came up as a result of this experience, she could see that they all converged into one sentence, I don't matter. Underneath this was an ocean of sadness. It became evident to her that most of her life experiences were touched by the belief that she didn't matter. Before this shift, the grief was so embedded in the core of her story that it had been impossible to see. Making space for this feeling to be there, she was able to see it and say, this too, I can include this as a part of myself. In that connection, she then said to this feeling, you matter to me. She gave herself the attention that was denied all those years ago. In compassionately meeting this feeling, she took a huge step away from it running her life from underneath her everyday consciousness. The presence of life that permeates and penetrates absolutely everything wants us to awaken. In fact, it yearns for this even more than we do, even more than we do. And it uses absolutely every moment of our lives, even a boat breaking down in a far-off country, to move us further along in the journey to connection and communion. Life is for us. Another way you can say this is that your life is your path. There is no accident who your boss is, what happens on your vacation, what type of body you have. There is no accident what this all triggers inside of you. To open to our lives allows us to get glimpses of the astoundingly creative adventure that each of us is on and to learn the art of trusting the process. It is only from a spacious perspective that we can begin to perceive the ocean It is only from a spacious perspective that we can begin to perceive the awesome intelligence that weaves the seemingly happenstance experiences of our lives. It will use all kinds of occurrences and situations in order to lead us to the bloom of awakening. Our job is not to try to understand it all. It is to notice what's happening right here, right now so that we can bring whatever is 
back home to our hearts. As we notice with compassionate curiosity, understanding wells within us. As we notice whatever is with compassionate curiosity, understanding wells up within us as automatically as salmon swim upstream. We then know the joy of belonging to life and belonging to our own lives. To become fully available to the living moment, no matter what life is offering, it is a journey. We have all taken on a struggling mind. We have all gotten lost into it. And we are all awakening through it. So know that you are not alone. I am on this journey with you. And be willing to cultivate the deep and passionate curiosity by asking yourself over and over again, what is? And then include it. Let go of resisting and include it by saying this too, so it can come home to your heart. Thank you for listening. Namaste. Calling all authors. Have you been considering an audiobook? Well, look no further. Come take advantage of Dream Vision 7 Radio Network's unique in-house audiobook production, which includes benefits and bonuses from our radio station. Let our knowledgeable staff guide you to create the audiobook you've always dreamed of without breaking the bank. Check out our full one-stop service from A to Z, including the ACX process. Schedule a free consultation by calling 508-226-1723. That's 508-226-1723. Or go to dreamvision7radio.com. Thank you for listening to this edition of What's in Your Way is the Way with your host, Mary O'Malley. You can access Mary's offerings on her websites, maryomalley.com and whatsintheway.com. Join Mary next time to experience the peace and joy that is always with you on Evolutionary Voices for the Quantum Age. Heard Monday through Friday at 8 a.m. and 8 p.m. Eastern on the Dream Vision 7 Radio Network. This is Dream Vision 7 Radio Network, uniting mankind with universal love. Our shows are created from the heart, bringing each listener to a place of divine enlightenment. Breathe, relax, and enjoy. Let life flow.